0: Yo, what's up, everybody? This week on Bottom of the Bill, we have Drew Tucker. His online brand, some of you might know, is it's not a xylophone. He's a vibraphone player now, based out of Atlanta, but he uh, was in South Florida for a long time. He's been involved in a lot of outreach programs, as well as just gigging and writing, recording music, and for himself as far as others. And most recently, he played with Corey Wong. On uh, at the Tabernacle in Atlanta, which is uh, all over his Instagram, it was pretty amazing to see. Drew's it's just been an amazing conversation. Really ins- inspirational guy. Love his work ethic, his discipline. Everything that he does is just the way he thinks about things. Is just also inspiring. So uh, we hope you enjoy the episode. But before we get to that, I just want to let you know that we do have merch available in the description below: t-shirts, uh, hats glasses whatever you guys want we got all kinds of cool shit check it out below uh we also have uh what do i usually promote here chris
1: <laughs> subscribe to the youtube
0: subscribe to the youtube channel follow us on instagram follow us on spotify all that good stuff help us keep growing this thing we love bringing these uh interviews to everybody these conversations it's inspirational for us and we hope it does something for you guys as well and ho- hopes it brings some kind of uh, awareness to our scene here in jacksonville so the more support we get the more it grows for all of us and everybody involved so without further ado here's drew tucker this is bottom of the bill Tucker, thanks for being here with us today, man. We really appreciate it. How are you doing?
2: Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. It's a beautiful day here in Georgia.
0: Yeah. Um, I like to, uh, I found that we have some common ground, actually, and I was reading through your bio. You're from South Florida? Yeah. Yeah. Delray uh, Beach. Hell yeah, man. So I'm from, I grew up in Pembroke Pines. Uh nice. So, sure. so like, I, I was going through your bio and I saw all the places that you've, Worked with and and done uh, you know events at and stuff and I was surprised and I guess not surprised but uh, it was, I saw that you worked with the Arts Garage up in Delray.
2: I started the Arts Garage in Delray.
0: Oh, you started it. Yeah. Oh yeah, damn, that's, that's awesome, man! I played there years ago with this band called the Rock and Jake Band. I think they still play there from time to time. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, it was, it was such a cool venue. Um, and they do a lot of work uh, in that, like North Broward area, Palm Beach, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, the woman who runs it now, uh, Marjorie Waldo, she's way more into the outreach and making sure that the community is really as involved as they can be than the executive director that we uh, had there before. So yeah, she's, she's doing a lot of good work. You know, she has the place pretty solvent, rock and roll, and definitely a different model than the one that was there when I was there, but still my home base still my baby so I, I play there from time to time whenever I pop back into town.
0: Awesome man, very cool. What prompted the uh, the move to Atlanta and how how are you finding the scene there for what you do versus down there?
2: Um well what prompted it was honestly housing prices. Yeah. You know, frankly. Um you know, living living down in Delray Beach it wasn't get it was getting kind of untenable to get the the size of house that I I wanted to do and still be able to not compromise on um my music and not compromise on what I wanted to do for my life. So it was time to make a move. Um, that's probably, that's probably, that's the primary reason, but you know, there was also this other, this other reason that I just didn't like, I have two daughters and I didn't want to raise them where other people vacation vacation. Um, I saw, I saw, I saw some, some patterns and some behaviors and I started really taking a deeper look into what, what the outcomes, what I really was looking for as far as the type of humans that, um, I was hoping they would grow into, and I, I felt like I would have a, you know, less resistance doing that somewhere where all the marketing wasn't for people who were in and out and near a beach and with the transient nature of things. So, I felt like Atlanta was a good spot. It also had a temperate climate. Um, my mom came up here with us, so you know she's she's uh, she's getting on in years. I won't go ahead and say what that means, but she's getting on in years, and so it, going somewhere too cold wasn't really a possibility. Um, and plus I wanted to be able to just hop in a car and drive back to South Florida, visit my friends, visit uh, my family. So, um, it, yeah, it was a pretty good move. And I, I also wanted to be in a space, my brother moved to McLean, Virginia and worked in DC. And I remember I used to go visit him. And I love the fact that when you were at his, at his house, it felt like you were in woods and nature, but then you were 20 minutes from Georgetown, 20 minutes from the city, 20 minutes from the scene, but then you'd leave the scene and be in your own little slice of slice of the area. So I live in Kennesaw, Georgia, which really feels like, I, you know, I walk out back and I look at forest. I can hardly see my neighbor's house. I love that. But then thirty minutes and I'm in the city. Um, you know, so uh, I dig that. I dig the fact this is something growing up in South Florida that I, I appreciate it. But I truly appreciate now that I live here is that I'm four and a half minutes from Nash. I mean, four and a half hours from Nashville. I'm four and a half hours from Ash. I mean, four hours from Nashville. Four hours from Asheville. You know, I could be in cool spots in Alabama. I can go to Louisiana in seven hours, New Orleans in seven, eight hours. Whereas in Florida, it was like eight hours just to get out of the state. Right. I was, you know, and we get all the concerts here. Like every time I see a post about somebody I like coming to a concert, I would just look for Atlanta. Whereas before, I was like, oh God, please come down somewhere where I can (laughs) drive. (laughs) Because it's just so hard to route down to South Florida unless you're, you know, on a certain level or you you have a connection down here. So totally. um, I like it. As far as the scene's concerned, I think I'm the only vibraphone player in Atlanta. So that's that's great. I, I dig that. So I'm kind of like a little bit of a novelty, which is pretty cool. Uh, I moved up here right before the pandemic. So I didn't, you know, do the usual stuff I would do when I, to get heavily into the scene. But I moved up here with a teaching gig, teaching percussion, being a percussion specialist at a high school. So that was a blessing. Um, high schools up here are really committed to music in Cobb County. So there's a lot of investment in music through the county and the and um through even the, the individual school programs because a lot of times the band program is the largest student body like body of students in the program is the largest club so a lot of everything kind of runs through them they kind of they kind of dictate policy you know most of like the superlatives in the yearbook are all band kids because band kids are the ones voting on them uh, so they're kind of like the kids um, in a lot of these schools because it's such a huge they're, they're so big compared to like other organizations in the school so that was really cool to see really cool to see a high expectation of um of quality, uh, musically, uh, and I learned a lot. It was tough through the pandemic, but you know I was doing that. I just retired from that pretty much this year. I'm um, doing a lot of clinician and uh, started a job at um, a place called South Arts. There's a lot of corporations that that run their their hubs out of here or they have their hubs here. So I started a, um, a job as the director of jazz at an arts nonprofit called South Arts and um, offices in Atlanta. And so I've been rocking and rolling doing that and playing as much as I can.
0: That's all awesome. You're super busy, man. <laughs> how do you uh, <laughs> how do you keep it all together? Well, do you have like a, you must be pretty well equipped to compartmentalize and uh, you know find the right place and the right time for everything? Because obviously, there's still the aspect of trying to practice and you know you you write and record music as well. So you get you try and make time for all that stuff at the same time, or are you kind of putting things on the back burner.
2: Yeah, I'm a. Uh, there's a couple ways I could answer that question. I don't really believe there's a couple there's a couple different sort of um aphorisms I sort of use to sort of balance all of that out and the first thing I don't really believe in balance in general (laughs) like as far as life balance I don't believe in that um I I think it's a it's a term that we use that even though yes we know what it we know what it's supposed to mean but if you don't have the context it really just kind of keeps you feeling guilty about everything kind of like in this figure eight of guilt like oh, man, I'm doing this. I wish, you know, I'm, I'm practicing so much. I really need to be spending time with my kids. Oh, man, I'm, I'm spending so much time with my kids, but work is falling behind. And, you know, how hard I got to go cook? And But I, I don't have time to cook. I got to get fast food. But I'm guilty by getting the fast food because of this. I, so so I, I really believe in counterbalance, right? So it's like if you look at, um, like, a point dancer as sort of they're gliding across the floor if you ever were able to see, like, a ballet. And if you look from, like, far back, it would look like they're just, like, perfectly balanced. But, like, if you were to zoom in, real tight on their feet. You see all these little micro adjustments that are being made from like moment to moment. Um, And it takes years to develop that level of imperceptible counterbalance that happens all the time. Um, But when you start, like when a point dancer starts, you know, they're up and they wobble and they fall. They're up, they wobble, they fall. And it's only through that practice where you learn to counterbalance so fast, like it almost looks like it's balanced in real time. And I think that's kind of the way it is. So there are certain times when I have deadlines And I may be down here every night and just writing or practicing or I got a show coming up and my time with uh, doing other things might be scarce. Even my time with my kids might be scarce if I have like a heavy, busy season. And then once that's over, I'll shut it all down. and The only thing I'll do is hang with my kids. So I'll counterbalance that, you know. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. and, And then as I've gotten better at it, it's easier to say like, okay, this is the time for this. And then be able to recognize when I'm getting sort of out of whack and then try to bring it back to center by, um, you know, or w- what I've found really f- helpful for me is that my kids play music too. So, um, as much as they can hang out down here with me, they understand when it's work time and I just love having them around. Uh, we, we'll always take breaks if they're down here we'll jam together. We'll just come up with something fun and we'll play together. Uh, my older daughter now is at the point where we're actually going on a European tour for three weeks and she's in the band. Oh no so, shit. What's um, she play? Uh, she sings and plays percussion.
0: Okay, awesome.
2: So she's a great, great hand percussionist. She's a solid pocket drummer, so not very fancy, much to, to her own admission. She plays vibes, she plays marimba, um, plays ukulele, you know, just stuff like that. So she's coming out. We're doing like a three week stint um, overseas at some spots. And she's, uh, you know, she's getting paid like a member of the band. You know, I don't great. know what that means in terms of my shenanigans on the road. I just kind of started thinking about that lately. <laughs> And also her shenanigans on the road. She's 18 years old, going to be, you know, and unfortunately she's not ugly, so.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll help that you're there to, uh, you know, yeah. kind of keep an eye on where you need to keep an eye on. That's uh, That's got to be nerve-wracking, huh?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it will be, I, I think. I mean, I she's, she's a good kid. I trust her, you know. I just, yeah, I don't know. It'll be fine, I'm sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, so there's that. The other thing I also think about is the fact that, you know, it's kind of like juggling. If you're juggling a bunch of things. Yeah, you know, we're all always juggling so many things nowadays. It's kind of like figuring out which balls are made of rubber and which ones are made of, you know, glass and which ones are made of like precious crystal.
0: Oh, I love that analogy.
2: Yeah. So some of them I let bounce, you know, like sometimes I won't post on social media. I think social media, I, I don't enjoy social media, but I think it's, I know it's important. It's important for my brand. It's important for getting opportunities like this. Um, but if I got to let that bounce, I'll let it bounce. It'll always bounce right back. But when it comes to, like, my kids, you know, I'm always, I always have, even when I'm at my most busiest, I always have an ear to the grindstone to make sure to see if any patterns are shifting, uh, see if I have to break away from what I'm doing. Because those those are, those are balls I cannot let drop at any point, you know, because those have lasting implications. So right. I'm always uh, even exhausted. You know, I put the phone down when I, I leave the phone in the car when I get home so that my initial attention is always on them. And I try to keep it off until I go, to, until they go to sleep or until my youngest one goes to sleep. My older one. You know, she's eighteen, so she's once she, she departs and she's like, Dad, you're bothering me. Why are you still talking to me yeah. so much I can kind of go back to it? Um, but you know, so I just I just gotta make sure and some and some of them will crack, but you can always repair them, you know. So some of them it's it's okay, but you just have to sort of prioritize which ones you can let bounce, which ones you can't. Right. Um that really helps to identify which because some people think, you know, I think working out is one too, you know, to keep taking care of my health is really important for me to be able to function and to be, present my best self to my children. So there are certain boundaries around that. Like I, I try to do it like at six 30, 7 in the morning before they're up and about. So I try to still get that. I'll sacrifice my sleep so that I can still spend the time with my kids and take care of the things I need to take care of really early. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, there's been times when, uh, And my daughter's asked me for the car early in the morning so she can go do a thing. And I'm like, sorry, I got to work out. Like, it's not an essential thing. You you can get a ride. Yeah. Figure it out.
0: All right, guys. This episode's brought to you by Best Buds CBD Store. If you're like me, maybe THC isn't always the right high for you. Or maybe the legal status of THC has you a bit hesitant to indulge. So at Best Buds CBD Store, they have an array of CBD and Delta 8 THC products. These guys truly care about their service, so everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top notch product and experience. If you head to their website, you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD. Uh, not to mention, if you use promo code BOTBPOD, that's B O T B POD you'll save 10% on your order. This is not a one-time deal. If you use promo code BOTBPOD, every time you place an order with Best Buds, it will give you 10% off. That's in perpetuity forever. So head over to bestbudscbdstore.com and start saving on all of your CBD and Delta A products. Enjoy, guys. I want to kind of dive into this just a little bit because I love this notion. Um uh it's something that i've been kind of discovering myself lately over the last few months is like this this health thing because oftentimes you know in music we uh there's late nights there's a lot of you know um activity that's easy to get involved with um to try and fit in or just to you know because you want to have a good time whatever it might be and um you know for a long time i think a lot of musicians do kind of indulge and take advantage but i've noticed that since I've been able to kind of make, you know, earlier nights and prioritize things like working out. Like to me, kind of like what you're saying, like working out is a non-negotiable for me at this point. I need to get up and I need, I need to do it. I do it like just about every day. And um, the eating uh, habits and the, 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 the no alcohol or drugs anymore for me, uh, just all those things that have actually By prioritizing my health it's made me be more functional as an artist and a musician overall even though I might not designate the same attention that I would to going out and hanging out and going to jam sessions and all that stuff I find that I'm more able to focus on the things uh, like practice or writing and even social events I'm much more present when I'm there uh, do you do you resonate with that at all yeah
2: absolutely um particularly with sleep. And that's something I'm still really working on is trying to maximize like the, how well I sleep and setting a bedtime, which I've never had. I mean, I've been gigging since I was 15. So four to six hours is usually my, my, you know, I'm pretty functional. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm different like that. Like, I, think, I think I'm think i different like that because I feel like I'm pr- fairly functional at that. But I'm, I'm really just, as I get a little bit older, trying to really just, I'm I understanding I don't heal as well. Like having a couple drinks hits me harder, longer, um, you know, so for me, it's it's just being intentional about what I do as opposed to just going by default or going by muscle memory. You know, like there is definitely a ritual to having a bourbon or two before a show or having it out there with me. You know, and so it's like, well, do I really am I even do I even And because I enjoy it? Like if I don't I've always been <laughs> I've always been a very, um, very uh, sorry, very persnickety sort of uh, a persnickety drinker like if it doesn't taste good i don't swallow it you know what i mean like i'd rather be drinking Lacroix all night than drinking cheap beer um you know same with coffee so for me it was just like but then sometimes it would start to get to the point where i was like well what do you got yeah all right cool yeah just pour that and i was like wait a second i don't even like this why am i drinking this right but it just became the rich so i'd have to like check myself i i don't really want to be a slave to anything so um if i feel like i need something it's time to if i ever if i ever catch myself saying man i need a or i need a then it's time. It's always been time for me to stop. But I, I definitely have found that when it comes to the, how my day goes and how well I'm able to show up in my day for all the different things, that AM workout is clutch for me. Um, just, just to sweat it out. And it's just, and life is hard. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, life is challenging. You know what I mean? I don't want to say hard because hard sounds like it's just like beating you in the face. But it's challenging. There's so many challenges, and it's like the only way to sort of decompress from the losses of the day you know or from the challenges of the day really is, to, is hard physical work is going to you know putting your body in submission and so you know I I'm working on that sugar is one thing that I'm trying to crack now that's always been a really big weak spot for me same um never really had too big of an issue with with alcohol um and drugs have pretty much been a non issue my whole life but um but sugar is the is the crack right now so yeah. you know and as I get older my, my, my father was diabetic my brother and so it's like I need to Shape up so I can be around to beat up my girl, my daughter's boyfriends for as long as necessary. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, yeah, man, the the sugar's a real one. And also, I feel like the the working out stuff. It's like, for me, I find that, you know, if it's like a if I'm having like a week or if I'm not feeling all there physically, I still try and go to the gym, and I will be you know working on reps of something, or I'll be on the treadmill or whatever it might be, and it's just like if i'm feeling like quitting at you know when there's a you know at the one minute mark or something i am might like, just finish the minute you're almost done and then you get off and that sets the tone for the rest of the day i feel like now all of a sudden when there's an obstacle or something in front of you it's like you don't want to do it but you already accomplished the one thing that morning just accomplish this next thing and then accomplish the next thing right. and then just it sets the tone for the day i feel like so it's interesting i'm just you know i don't
2: I, that that's a great point. Um, and one of those like ancillary benefits to working out. For me it also it's you know it's a promise I keep to myself and I'm always thinking about two things especially at this age, you know is is what's I'm, I feel like I'm writing my writing my eulogy every day. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm. and and I and I and I also I, my daughters are watching. So if I can't I want them to be able to trust me. I want them to trust my leadership. I want them to trust especially my older one as she gets older and she starts thinking about long, so longer term serious relationships. I want them to see What's possible from a man? I want I want to be that that person. I want to keep promises to myself so that they know I'll keep them to them. So I think everything is everything, as the uh, now infamous Lauren Hill said. Um, You know, and I think it's really important that all what how you do little how you do anything is how you do everything. You know, so it's like if I'm showing up for myself every morning, even if they know I'm tired and I'm doing what I have to do, and I'm showing up for them every day, and that's what they're going to expect from people in their lives and men in their lives, and. So, I'm always thinking about those things. It's for myself. It's also for my mental health. I have severe ADHD. Um, I always have, but didn't get diagnosed with it until I was an adult. And all of a sudden, the rest of my life made sense. Um, And it absolutely helps me to just get that adrenaline out and kind of calm my brain down, calm down any anxieties I may have around things that I have to do. And so, it's great for my mental health too. When people don't work out and they eat terrible and they're like, well, you know, I'm anxious all the time and depressed. You don't want to belittle that, you know, there's chemical things that happen. Everybody's got different struggles, but I'm like, well, why don't you start with the stuff here instead of starting with the medication or starting with the, um, those other things, you know, just yeah.
0: it, it's a huge help. A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. I want to shift a little bit here, uh, cause I, I see you have a few different instruments in the background. Do you play all of them? Yeah. My vibraphone
2: is actually not here. Usually it sits there in front of my mallet station. Um, but I did a clinic at a, at a at a music um, intensive last week and then travel, so I haven't picked it up yet. But yeah, I do play all of them to, to varying degrees. You know, like um, I play the piano, I don't, but I don't practice piano. So mostly it's, I do a lot of theory, composition, arranging on piano, because I can get the whole breadth of everything. Um, piano is also where I kind of go when I want to do any sort of just play sometimes, because I don't have the pressure around like how well I'm playing. Uh, um, I play, but. I'll play whatever is given to me within reason. I don't necessarily practice drums a lot, but my hands work really well just because I play a lot of vibes. Um, and I teach a lot. So I play drums, but if you had me on a gig about two set two hours in, you'd start to hear some of the same vocabulary. You know, like you wouldn't, you know, I haven't really expanded the vocabulary too much. Um, it, it is a goal of mine to actually sit down and, and get my feet stronger and to be able to expand the vocabulary on that. But I can keep a pocket. You know, I can have fun. I can do the gig if it if it calls for it. If you if it's a pop gig or a top top forty gig, I'll learn the tunes and be fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I won't be any ear in Spears or anything like that. But I'll I'll do the I'll do the gig. And then vibraphone is my main instrument. So anything mallet wise that I'm playing, that's that's where I kind of excel, specialize. That's what I spend most of my time practicing.
0: Yeah, I love. So that's how we discovered you. Obviously, we saw a video of you with, uh, playing with Corey Wong, oh, yeah. and um, that was uh, pretty amazing and i'm i'm curious as to kind of i want to kind of work our way to that moment because it's not a traditional uh realm or genre of music to be seeing a vibraphone in so i'm curious as to your background and and how you got to this point of playing with funk bands and in in this kind of jam band world
2: sure yeah um it's an interesting way to phrase it i like that it's it's kind of, because it's kind of always a goal of mine. Like, I'm almost like, I, I truly believe that every genre of music needs vibraphone. They just don't know it yet. Right. <laughs> so kind of, you know, because so, usually once I play with someone or once they, they're like, wow, that was awesome. I never thought that that would even work or whatever. And then, um, and then we do it again. And then, so it's always like kind of like a mission of mine to get into spaces where people aren't used to seeing it. Um, And I, and I think that started young in the fact that, like, I was trained as a jazz musician. You know, I went to all, you know, to... Jazz schools. I went to Berkeley for a little bit. Um, I studied jazz vibraphone. You know, that's the thing you play when you play vibraphone, which was great. But as I started to play out and play standards and play straight-ahead stuff and have my quartet or have a trio or whatever, you know, it just wasn't going anywhere. And I kind of sort of realized that it's not—it's not my music. Like I didn't grow up. Like I love Frank Sinatra and I love Cole Porter, but I don't remember where I was when. Nina Simone dropped her latest banger, but I do remember where I was when Britney Spears came out with Toxic and how I felt
0: mm. about
2: it. And I do remember riding in the back of my brother's El Camino when Tears for Fears was playing. You know, like I have visceral memories of this music coming out. So it's really my music and I just like my album that my last album that I had has those songs in it. It's really just music that I love to play. And, and then I sort of just kind of started to play music I liked regardless. You know, I'd make different arrangements of it, but I started playing music I liked Cause I wanted to make people dance, man. I wanted to have fun playing this music. And I was playing at places playing jazz where everyone was either listening and being really persnickety about it and, or they were, um, you know, just talking over it.
0: Yeah, and you're like wanted, noisy wallpaper.
2: Yeah, I wanted to entertain. And um, so I just decided to play music I love that resonated with me because, li- listen, no one knows. There's a handful of people on the planet who know if I played the right scale over the right change and played the cool lick or did the thing. But everyone so i'm not going to connect with that many people on that but in school that's all you think about like only connections you really are making are the ones you're trying to make because you're being graded are on the technical aspect of it so people go out in the world and they're like look at the technical aspect of it and they're trying to connect with people on that and they're not connecting and wonder why they're not selling tickets but everybody connects on with uh, with love and joy and suffering and pain and loss So if you're playing music from that place and you're playing music that helps you to connect that, then you're sharing that experience with them and they're finding something cathartic to connect, connect with it. Um, So they'll come, no, you know, they come and they they don't say like, man, that was such a great vibraphone concert. Like that's the, I don't want to hear that at all. I want to hear, man, that was great music. It felt great, man. It was exciting. It was joyful, man. That one song made me cry. That one song was like this. And same thing with my album. Like I didn't want it to feel like a vibraphone album. I just wanted to feel like an album of good music that happened to, also feature the vibraphone. Um, and in terms of like playing music, that's more, uh, unorthodox for my instrument. I started playing, you know, I played jazz. I met this piano player named Nicholas Cole at a, a, Palm Beach youth orchestra thing. I wasn't in it. I was checking it out and his brother was in it. who played violin and he was playing this jazz on one of the pianos at a break. And I was like, Hey man, I play jazz too. I maybe played like three songs and, um, I'm like, let's get together. So we got together and, then what I would do is I would go down, once we had a couple tunes, I said we should go play some gigs. And so what I would do is I would go down to, um, we had these local strip malls. I mean, you're from Florida, so it's like you live by these strip malls. Yeah. And I would just knock out, go into every single business and ask them if they wanted some jazz. Tell them I'd play for free on a Friday night, and if they like me, to book me for a month for a 100 bucks a, a night. I didn't care if it was a lawyer's office, I didn't care if it was an ice cream shop, gym, podiatrist, didn't care.
0: Just wow. Just went straight the door. To door.
2: And obviously I got a lot of no's, but I didn't, you know, whatever. And I remember getting this first gig at this coffee shop, and we went in, and this is like what 1995, I was 15, 1996. So, you know, you didn't have Facebook and stuff. So I'm calling, you know, everybody on the landline, you know, going to church, talking to everybody, guilting everybody, like you got to come. I'm playing my first professional show, and man, we packed that place. It was packed outside the, you know, the place. The place was standing room only. People and people just gave us a bunch of tips. I think we made like 250 that night in tips. And the guy booked us for for uh, for a month and then a month again until season was over, which I learned what that was pretty fast.
0: Yeah. Um, and then we
2: kept doing that. So it came down to a time by the time like a year later, I was playing like eight shows a week. and no still going shit. To high
0: school.
2: Yeah, it was just with my vibes and um, I'd borrow the vibes from the school, the high school. I was going to say,
0: free. yeah, I was going to say, what's the pro? Because like, obviously, like the, they're expensive. And then but beyond that, just transportation on those things is, is pretty brutal, huh?
2: Yeah, I mean it depends on which one you get. At this point now, I have a large truck. If I can't roll it in, I don't, you know, I don't buy the buy the vehicle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, picking it up and rolling it in. I, I I'm not trying to break it down and set it up. So if it's not ours backline, one of the two. But if I gotta move it around, it's gotta be it's gotta be like that. But um, yeah, I usually I right, bar from a local school. At least all the schools have one. Colleges have one. So sometimes if I'm going to a place and I know a teacher, I'll, I'll let them know. But I started doing that, man, and that that was cool. And then I hooked up with a jam band called Fault, down in down in um, Delray Beach. Fun fact, we had a warehouse next to Marilyn Manson at the time.
0: No shit. Not
2: <laughs> yeah. um, And that was like a, that was a straight up jam band. I didn't even know what jam band was, until after I was done with Fault. Like, it was a, we used to play farm parties, like, you know, yeah. farm, farm parties and stuff, and I was playing the vibraphone, man, and, you know, one of the guys, we actually all met up recently, and one of the guys, like, found an old recording from this place in downtown Delray called A-Train. It's actually online. Um <laughs> i Fault Live at the A-Train. Don't judge me. I was like 18.
0: Oh, we're, but, um, we're going back to listen to that for sure. <laughs>
2: oh, my God. Just, we, you know, but we – but, you know, and I never smoked any weed. I remember going to a farm party and everybody else was smoking, and I was starving. And I was just like, why am I so hungry? I just uh. ate. And, like, and I was like, do you guys have any food? And they just brought out the salami and crackers, and I inhaled, like, the whole tray. And I was like, what is this stuff on this, man? Is this oregano? He's like, no, dude, that's weed. Oh, oh. no. And I'd never, and I just was, toast. Like I, they played the whole gig, and they were, couldn't find me. I was behind my vibes, like a bottle, of, bottle of Snapple, rain, and some sunsh, like a whole butt bag of sun chips. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it was, so I mean, but I played in that, but like to me, that was like all the acceptance I got from it, and how cool it was because it was so unique. It was like cool. I'm playing rock and roll, like I'm playing like funk and rock and roll, and you know we're playing like some Dave Matthews covers, and um, so I was with them for a while. They turned into a band called Eight Track Mind, where we added horns and we did all this stuff. Um, and there was a couple albums that I remember hearing that made me also think that anything was possible too. Like the Chick Corea uh, Bobby McFerrin album, which is like Bobby McFerrin just on vocals and vocal percussion and Chick Corea playing, and it was a live concert of just they sold out a live concert with this. Not it was, it was so cool and it was so like esoteric and. You know, Gary Burton playing tangos. And, you know, I just sought out music that was different. And I just wanted to play the vibes, man. I just fell in love with the stupid instrument. And I I wanted to take the instrument that I loved and the music that I loved, which mostly was like grunge music and hip hop, 90s grunge hip hop music, and just like rock and roll. And I wanted to, I didn't see any reason why I couldn't just do them all of that together. Like there was no rules that, what were these rules? So, um, and I remember one time I was at Mango's. In Fort Lauderdale. Oh yeah. And uh this drummer, um, John Yarling, who I love and is his uh his and Nicole Yarling, who, who plays violin, which oh, yeah. like she teaching everybody, doing the things. Um, but John Yarling said, I said, Man, hey, I'll, let me come sit in with you one day. I was like 17 18 I don't remember. And he's like, We play blues. I was like, Yeah, and he's like, Yeah, there's no vibraphone in a blues band. And I was like, Oh, the hell there isn't. From then on, I was like, I'm gonna play some blues. You know, I'm gonna play in a blues band. It was just like guitar, like, like shredding guitar players. You know what I mean? Like, so I wanted to do that. And so, you know, anybody, anytime someone tells me, like, you can't play a vibraphone with this music, I'm like, hmm, okay. So I remember that. I, got, I may, You know, it might, we might have just unearthed something. I think that's been driving me for the past 20 years. Well, you, know, uh, you can't. <laughs> Microphone and
0: a blues band <laughs> those fucking blues guys have a way of bringing some weird shit out of you man i'm telling you <laughs> that fucking yeah, yeah, that, that 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 sometime i mean there i i have such a respect for that genre of music it's what i came up playing and the blues scene in south florida was very good to me but man that like that that stuck in tradition kind of mindset really makes you want to like push against the grain as, as a young guy space, coming up
2: those guys, man. I learned how to play with space. I, for, I quickly forgot it, but I did learn yeah. how to do it. I did learn how to do it. <laughs> I do. I, I want
0: I, to, play. I, I want to kind of ask you about that actually, when you're in, when you're playing, especially genres like blues, I mean, I'm curious where 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 do you find your place as a as a vibraphone player? What are you? How are you thinking about comping and soloing? I guess there's probably something you can take from some of the jazz stuff that's more blues influenced, but like where when you're talking about straight ahead like shuffles and and kind of like a slow blues or something, where where are you finding your place? Uh,
2: I still am. I don't have an answer that's solid enough to say that I know this answer. However, um, I realize it's just it's very musician specific. It's very ensemble specific. Um, you might have a drummer that's filling up a ton of space. I, I think the key really is just empathy is just listening. yeah, it's just be, okay, this is where this person's at. This is what you know, and so I try to approach every gig with empathy and trying to listen to harmonically what's happening. Is it really dense? And so I'll keep it as 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 open and as possible. Is it really thin? You know, there's not a lot as is, is the organist just kind of laying down some one three set, you know, some th- thirds and sevenths, and you know, is he's just kind of sort of sitting there as he like playing all the things. At which point, you know, I'll try to just find space within. But to me, it's it's that it's that conversation, and it's really about how can I make everybody else around me feel and sound good, um, because at the end of the day, that's really what it's about, right? I mean, it's it's I, I don't I have always found that if I can do that on stage, that it translates and. And even if I don't play a lot, or I don't play a lot of notes, that it connects, and um and to, that's yeah. I just want to make everyone around me a little bit feel a little bit better, you know. Sound a little, a little pocket of the world in that moment, and I, I really think, honestly, I really think in those terms. Um And then I try to pick up on what somebody, I try to learn something. So if I'm someone's playing a certain thing, like I remember when I was practicing with that Corey gig, I'm trying to figure out how to get, you know, he got, like he's got this strum that I've just never, like, it's just so clean and in time and clear and i'm like how can i i spent so much time trying to figure out what kind of technique i could use to either play that first of all for for future things to kind of get that same effect and or also just to complement it like what can i do i think i came up with something i'm not really super happy with what i came up with when i listened back to it but it was a part of that journey um and so i'm always trying to figure out like okay that's really dope how can i um, how can I do that? And I'm fortunate enough that i've I've been in a lot of spaces where all the musicians are mostly better than me, so uh, where I like to be. so it's, if I'm not there, I'm I, you know, I might as well be just teaching at high school you know, I might as well be teaching. you know I want to be there where everyone's like bringing something and they're really cool. and but honestly, it's it, every every single thing is different, man. I've been in spaces where drummers just playing so many fills is so loud. So just you know, playing and just crushing it and he's doing great. and I don't want to take away from that when he's on. It's like if somebody has a hot hand, like let them shoot. You
0: know, yeah. So I don't need to play.
2: A lot. You know, I don't need to play a lot. Yeah, sure. I don't. I don't. I don't need to hear the, I don't need to hear the sound of my instrument to feel satisfied with it. With a performance.
0: Yeah, totally, man. That's something that I think takes a lot of time uh, and and just experience. Uh, because we've had we there was a just an example of that. There was an ex- a jam session that happened a few months back. We had a friend of ours that was leaving town, so of course every musician shows up to support. And at one point, there was like three or four guitar players on stage. But we're all we've all been doing the thing for so long that I'm looking around. I'm trying to find what my place is, and we're all trying to find our spot. But then at some point, I just noticed that there's like three of us out of out of the four or two out of the three that are up there that are not playing at all. And we're just yeah. kind of waiting to to figure out like what the next thing is. And I thought that was so cool just to be up there with guys that were like, that confident but also listening that hard to be like i don't hear i don't hear where i, where I fit in at the moment i'm gonna wait for a little bit and then you and then you you know you come in when when it's your time but just to get, have that kind of discipline i think is is important and something that a lot of musicians don't have or figure out till much later on you know
2: yeah it's kind of like uh, better to be silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt yeah yes like you know what let him think I can't play, but I'm not going to start throwing in, and then be like, "Oh wait, no, he didn't know what he's doing, yeah, he doing." Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know,
2: I made that mistake a lot in my life, but um, um, not. Nah, I'm better at it now, and uh, and you know that it's 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 been it definitely is a journey, and mostly for me, it's just finding physical space to actually be on on the on the stage. But I, totally, I've been the laws of physics with that instrument quite a bit.
0: In my life, so. <laughs> what uh, what starts happening after you're playing with this blues band for a little bit?
2: Well, I, I didn't play with that blues band. I, I didn't play with them at all. He just said that. And oh. I was like, I'm going to go and do that. But I was with Fault. Um, I marched the drum, drum and bugle corps as well. Okay. Um, so I started teaching high school drum lines like right out of high school. So, um, you know, that was, I, I find a lot, I have a lot of, a lot of fun doing that. It's um, very fulfilling for me. I love, and it's not really even the music at that point. It's really, it's the leadership training. It's the helping these kids. And a lot of, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these kids don't, They don't play a lot of sports or team sports or do a lot of things like this, especially in like your marching band type of thing in high school. So this is the only type of time to get that sort of team sports training where it's like, yeah, this is hard and you got to have to sacrifice and it's hot out. You got to play the same music perfect every time and you got to push past it and you got to, you know, keep practicing small little increments done consistently day by day, yield big results, like those types of things they don't, a lot of them don't get otherwise. So it's important to me that there's a human training in that, and I I do find myself um, particularly uh, drawn to, to to teaching and helping with that medium. So to me, I, you know, playing I, I'm definitely not or ever going to be the best vibraphone player in the world, and haven't tried. Um, and, and a lot of that's just because that's not my gift. You know, I just don't, I found out that playing vibraphone isn't really my gift or percussion. Even playing music in general is not my gift. Um, and when I realized that and accepted it. I just realized that it was sort of my vehicle to to espouse my gift, right? It's my vehicle to be able to share um, um, to share a lot of things. And it's that audience that I've found because of this. And then I just start using, like, I have a lot of other gifts that I can use to help other people. I do love the instrument. So how can I help a guy like Joel Ross or like Nathan Skinner or these other cats who Are in a situation where they can practice, or 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 they're just straight up gifted, or they're really good, or they're in a situation I can't practice four hours a day. I got family responsibilities. I got things. I got this is how I built my life. Um, So i way. I have so many other things that are more important than being the you know, great greatest vibraphone player on the planet. Um, So how can I use my gifts? to help prop up people who are in a situation to be able to go and that, that's what they're built to do. They're built to go play, they're in a situation to go tour, they don't have children or they're just, this is where their passion lies and their gift lies. So how can I support that? I can do that with connections that I have. I can do that with putting other people together. I can do it with um, giving them opportunities where I can um, and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, that's, so that's sort of um, what I found since then and teaching has really been key in that. I love doing clinics now. I'm not teaching daily in this high schools anymore. Or in school, so I do a lot of clinics. I teach at universities, I'll go do a residency here, a residency there. Um, and now, uh, and then I started Arts Garage actually. Again, uh, you know, another it's, it's to be able to see that opportunity in an empty warehouse and to be able to take the experiences that I've had and sort of put them inside and see that there was an opportunity there in Delray Beach because there used to be a lot of jazz in Delray Beach, um, at one point, and then Facebook happened, and then all of a sudden people started, you know, going on Facebook and promoting their shows, and some of your older jazz musicians were like, we're not promoting anything, we're the talent, you promote, we just show up and play, and they're asking for a couple hundred bucks a person, whereas now you got these college bands, you know, playing for a hundred bucks in a beer tab so that they can try to get laid, and (laughs) putting it all on Facebook, and you know, packing the place up. So, but you know, people still have ears, and you still have this sort of level of like, they don't want to hear mediocrity, you know? Um, And eventually, if you bring them something better, they're going to be like, oh, right, we like, you know, this high level of music. So when Arts Garage came about, and was like, well, what do we do? We said, well, let's do it like small jazz club in New York, which is where everyone pays the ticket price and just brings food and their own drinks. You don't have to worry about a liquor license. And so we uh, went to auctions and bought the stage and got the lights and everything. We didn't have a stage for a while, actually, um, and the tables. And then everyone brought your own. And we just rocked and rolled and we just kind of grew from there. So and the city helped us at first, and then we um, kind of we more we more than doubled that budget. That's Actually, a- we went from seventy five thousand the first year. Two years later, we had one point two million dollar budget.
0: Oh my God, that's amazing, man! Congratulations on all that. That's really cool. You're able Thanks. to be involved in that and make make a lot of that happen. I'm curious how you go from this. Uh, you know, you're gigging, you're teaching, and then now you're doing clinics and stuff. How do you make that jump? Because obviously, there's there's an element of that, uh, not an element, it's a major part of it, it being like an entrepreneur where you have to, where you I'm sure you're sacrificing a steady paycheck in order to go into this realm of doing clinics and opening up spaces where it's very much your brand. Now that you're selling, you're not an employee for somebody else. Now you're out there selling yourself. How do you make that jump? And um, what's that kind of done for your brand as a, as a musician, do you think?
2: I think um, there's two there's two jumps to make. There's a jump to make from being a gigging musician to playing ticketed shows.
0: Yeah, totally. That,
2: that if you're not like found and picked up, or someone doesn't ask you to open for them or offer support, it's a challenge to do on your own. Um, and again, I play vibraphone. So I think I've been hired to play the vibraphone maybe this many times in yeah. my life. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I don't even know. Um, so typically, I'm the person who's writing the checks and putting the project together. And hiring the people just out of necessity not out of any sort of flex um but i realized that if i wanted to play um ticketed shows shows where i was gonna have captive audience and be able to share and connect with people which is what i wanted to do i was going to have to stop playing shows where you could see me for free right which meant and here's another aphorism i like is you know if you're gonna if you're gonna set site for new shores you have to be content with losing sight of the shore side of land for a very long time yeah right um so i i what i did was i went to old school square which is actually how i got into the whole nonprofit spaces and that whole thing anyway because i was playing in a in a musical there and i thought it was city hall it's in delray beach and then I, i loved it and i just went and asked how can i get involved like this place is beautiful and went from committee stuff to you know volunteer stuff to committee stuff to board membership to just sort of being the person in the area that did all the music things and I said, and I went to them and said, because I had those relationships, I went to the old school square and said, I'd love to play a concert here. Let's make it a fundraiser. Um, put it on your calendar, and we'll do 50-50 split of the door. And they were like, all right, sounds good. And we'll make it a fundraiser. You can keep, you know, you keep whatever, I, and we'll raise money at it too. We'll do a dinner before, you know, I had all this whatever. Um, but I, I essentially rented the space, you know, did a, did a ticket share. But I asked them to put it on their calendar. So I'd be on the list with all of these world-class people who were coming in, you know, and Drew Tucker's coming in. So, you know. Mary Sue is looking at it when she gets the email is or in the mail is like, oh, Drew, look let's oh, he plays one of these instruments. Okay, cool. Let's book a ticket. They don't know I've never played a ticketed show. Right. <laughs> um, and then I stopped playing everywhere for and I booked it a year and a half, almost two years out. And I stopped playing everywhere where you could see me for free. I just cut it off and I got myself side hustle. Um, I work for my brother doing some landscaping, contracting, writing bids for my brother stuff where you couldn't see me like I wouldn't like you come see me at starbucks and i'd be like oh well, Drew, what happened what
0: happened to the music right you know? Ugh, uh, i hate that yeah
2: um, <laughs> right so i got a, i got a side hustle and um and i only played like i play private parties still i'd play if there was like a festival or somewhere where there was a ticket entry to it i would play or there's a stage where i was on stage and people came to listen to it i'd play those even if it was like a free festival if it was like on stage with a good sound system but it was about two years where people. Eventually just kinda of stopped asking when I was playing at Dada again or when I was playing at well with local whatever the local spot was. And and I say, Well, I'm not playing anymore there. I'm really working on I have a show coming up. I'm, you know, here and they go see the ticket price. They're like, What? Why would you pay why would we pay that? But then a year and a half in, they were just like, Oh, you're playing there? Okay, cool. We'll buy that ticket. We really miss seeing you play. And people started buying the tickets and we did we did really good. Um we did really good at that show and then Arts Garage, we sold out. We oversold the place for the first like like 40 a ticket 30 40 a ticket because that's what the customers were used to paying there so then they see you and they know they can't see you for free and they know that you know but for a long time it was tough man everyone was always like when are you going to play here money was scarce so i always tell people man if you're going to get a side hustle get a side hustle just don't get too good at it yeah you
0: know right
2: where they start giving you promotions you got to think about it after the job you know then you fall in love have a kid and now you can't quit you know totally whatever that case is. So that was that jump. And then I just kind of tried never to go back. I'm very careful about who I play with, what list I'm on. Um, Every now and then I I remember I did go back once and I was playing. um, What was I playing? Was I playing drums? I went went back and did it once. And then I realized, and they were like, and I didn't tell anybody about it, but it was just a really good paying gig at a restaurant. And they were like, Hey, can you promote more? And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to promote for people to come not listen to me. (laughs) Like it just made no sense to like to, 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 to send out, to use all of that, like, sort of, and you have, like, a limited amount of that clout when you're telling people about stuff. A hundred percent. Right? So I'm telling them to come out so they could be like, hey, I can't hear you. Let's go outside for a second and talk. And I have no one inside listening, and everyone's outside talking, having drinks. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and so there's a little bit of that. Uh, and then, it's and, and again, it all sort of stacks up, right? Um, I remember asking a friend, asking University of North Texas, um, Mark Ford, who was a, he's still he's a great friend of mine at the time, was, he's still had been a, a, a long-time mentor. He's like, hey, can I do a clinic at your place? And he's like, well, you know, yeah, sure. Put together the list of what you're going to talk about. Send me two videos of you doing clinics elsewhere. And I was like, all right, well, I don't have all that. Then I went on tour with Sean Martin from Snarky Puppy. Mm-hmm. And now I'm getting, now he's calling me saying, hey, man, remember when you wanted to come out? Like, when are you going to come out? Um, and those opportunities are gotten because I do everything I can to add value. It's the same thing when you talk what you were talking about earlier about when you're playing, finding your space. You know, how do you how do I add value in this situation? How can I make that guy sound better? You know, and that's always my consideration. I don't want to make the right choices, but it's always a consideration. Right. And I think that comes across. So after I left Arts Garage, I was I was the cultural arts director over at the Allied uh, City of Pompano, essentially. But I was at the Allied Cultural Arts Center. I opened this other space in Pompano and the, um, the Bailey. And I was booking Cats, and I hooked up with this agent named Eric uh, Eric Gerber with Royal Artist Group, and he's Snarky Puppies' agent. And um, so he also managed a lot of their offshoots. So our opening concert was Corey Henry and the Funk Apostles.
0: No shit.
2: Yeah, and this was like when they just started. We were like one of their first tours, one of their first gigs. Um, so I made that connection, and then the next one was Ghost Note in um, mm. their first iteration, and then the next one was Sean Martin. I, I may be having those out of order, but e- either way. And I remember when I met Sean, I was like, Sean, man, we should go do a tour together. And Sean um, is the nicest human being. Like, he's he's like what I'm talking about, like taken to the highest possible conclusion of making everybody sound better, feel better, look better. Um, and he uh, he was like, sure, man, put it together. We'll do a duo tour. And I was like, all right, now I got to put up. So I called, like, I, I leverage every connection. And we did a tour of Texas, a tour of Florida. And honestly, that he changed my life with that. And once that happened and, you know, I was in that space with him. That was huge, Uh, and and every time he still every time he comes down, we play together, we jam, and uh, he's not really doing well right now. But shout out to him, I really hope uh, you know he's one of the best people I know. Period. Full stop. Even playing, man, I I wasn't playing well. He just everything he plays, he's just so good that I could play the worst stuff, and he just makes it sound good. Yeah, he's got that. And he does it with a smile, and he's supportive, and like so. But doing that in that space got me into like those snarky puppy spaces, and which. Got me like in the ground up playing the late night shows and I hooked up with Corey because Corey came to um Isaiah Sharkey's jam session, which I was invited to. So I was at Isaiah Sharkey's jam session. Corey stopped in on the way to jam cruise. We jammed. I saw Corey was playing at the tabernacle. I said, Hey man, what's up? Um, I'm in Atlanta. You know, you're coming through tabernacle. He's like, Great, like I was like, Great man, like love to do something with you. He's like, Great, here's some tunes. Come sit in, let's play.
0: Fuck yeah. That's and awesome. That man. That.
2: But I always ask because it's Viberphone. So who's gonna think Oh, I've always been. I I have rarely heard. I've always wanted vibraphone in this. Thank God I found you. It's always been like. Oh yeah, sure. (laughs) When they hear it, they're like, "Yeah, let's do something else together, um, and let's do that." So, you know, I I guess all of those things lead to lead to the next thing, and always trying to make sure that in the space that I'm in, that I'm adding value to the situation, not only just musically, but just as a human. I was supposed to play Bonaroo with Corey on Saturday.
0: Oh, really? What happened with that?
2: Uh, logistics got terrible
0: oh.
2: I had my vibraphone he had like the it was like the Corey Wong super jam um, and he was we, we went over all the logistics on like Thursday and then Friday he's like well how are we going to get it from the rehearsal to the back of Bonnaroo they won't let cars in and I had canceled my Vibraphone, it was gonna come from Pearl. They were gonna send it to me because they're the ones who endorsed me, shout out to Pearl. Um, But then I said, don't worry about it, I'll just bring it. But then it became like this, it became a hassle and I could feel it becoming a hassle to the manager. I could tell he was getting flustered and he was trying to work it out. I said, you know what, man, just do it the next time, man. Just get on it the next time. Broke my heart because I really, 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 really wanted the jam. I mean, like he was with all the cats. And I was just, but you know what? I, I wasn't adding any value at that point. There was going to become a negative return right. on it. if You know, and I wanted to, okay, here's a manager who's doing everything he can to accommodate my awkward instrument. Everyone else is playing guitar or singing, you know what I mean? Like, so they're like strap it on their back. Right. And I started thinking about that. And having been in those kind of situations, I'm like, what, what would I need someone to be for me right now if, This was a difficult challenge, and he's like, "Bonner is really being difficult. We don't know how we're going to get it over there." And he's like, "Let me call you back. Let me call you back." So we're going back and forth, and I was like, "You know what, man? I love that you're, you're, you want, you know, you want me on that stage, and I want to be there." I'm like, "But this, enjoy. Like, this is, this is. I don't want this to become a thing where you're, where it's
0: stressing everyone out."
2: Yeah. So like, let's just do it the next time. You sure, man? Are you sure? I'm like, yeah, man. Let's just do it the next time. Have a great show. Like. I messaged Corey, I'm like, hey man, we couldn't work it out this time But let's just have a great show, and he's like, dang man, sucks. The Festival guys are being super jerks And he's like, but um, Yeah, I said, man, just have a great show, I don't care, it'll be the next time You know what I mean, like, it's not the last time Yeah. Like, there's abundance there, there's abundance of opportunities There's abundance of all of it, like, trying to force my way Into one for the sake of my ego Never is, is going to serve me for one gig, and I'll lose The war, you know? Right And what they're going to remember isn't like the couple, four songs I played Or whatever, three songs I played, they're going to remember It's just such a pain in the ass to get him
0: that's such yeah, a. He was such. No, that's such an insightful way to look at it, man. That's like to have that kind of. Again, it just goes back to the discipline thing to be able to take yourself out for a second. And I think it's cool about having worked all these different positions for you as well, where you understand the position that the manager was in and Corey Wong as the band leader, and also having to deal with that as well. And you're just like, you know what? If this was me, I would want to just made this a path of least resistance and right now this is just too much resistance for this to yeah. work out and, and so it
2: wasn't meant to you know. yeah so i definitely took a trip i just i tell you we took a trip to new york and went and hung out a little bit i did not want to be sitting home on instagram trying to be like oh look how much fun they're having yeah of course so i went and took out, went out and hung out a little bit and that's you know, cool so they were, they were they were able to get
0: them. you in your in the festival and everything Oh, to Bonnaroo? Oh no, sorry. I, I don't know why I thought you, uh, you you went to New York instead of going. No, to I didn't
2: go. I didn't go to Bonnaroo. Okay. Um, actually, my daughter still, she was more bummed about it than I was. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I flew out to New York. I let her use my car and go with a friend to to Bonnaroo, which was tough for me. I couldn't go to sleep until she was home.
0: But, yeah, I can um, imagine.
2: <laughs> was but yeah, you know, it was good. So so I mean, that's that's really uh, and, and listen, I I don't remember. There's very few opportunities that I've gotten from auditioning. Right, so I mean, usually it's it's just building great relationships with people, um, and having good people around you, you know, Uh, and and it's those relationships that bring the opportunities. Somebody can't make a gig. Somebody heard about you. Somebody and what they remember is, yeah, he could play, but they're like, man, it's super dope. Cat, like, so someone usually be like, man, killer player, but everyone else told me you're really cool. So if you want, you know, I do a couple. I do. I work with a couple composers now and lay down vibraphone tracks on some commercial stuff, and I did this novella you know i do a couple things in for these novellas for the spanish composer and a few others but it's because one of my former students is out in la killing it and he turned over work to me now which is the coolest thing but and his first thing when he hit me up was like hey if i recommend you for a job will you do a great job at it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i will you know and again it's like i don't wait for the opportunity the thing that i'm doing is the opportunity right like i don't know who'll hear this you know, like to me, this is as important as if Joe Rogan called me and did a podcast. Oh,
0: man, that that's uh, um, amazing that you'd give us that much credit. But I really appreciate but I don't know. it.
2: Jo- the Joe Rogan one could get no views because no one knows who I am. Yours could get, a, you know, pop one view over. You know, I mean, you could share a thing that resonates with the right person. Next thing I know, I'm on Oprah talking about what is a xylophone, you know. It's a, right. To me, the, the every opportunity is the opportunity. Like that's 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 it. You know what I mean? Like if I decide to do a thing, like I could not decide to do a thing Then, you know, I think it's not worth the time or the effort of the, the energy. But if I decide to do a thing,
0: there's no, that's the thing. You yeah. Know, that's, that's, the most- that's awesome, man. Um, uh, there, there, you said something interesting earlier that, uh, that we kind of just talk endlessly about on this show and that's the ticketing stuff versus like the bar musician kind of thing. And uh, I mean, we ad nauseum really, we talk about it all the time. But I, I love this that, that you said it and you brought it up this time because typically a lot of people don't understand that kind of creating scarcity in a market for yourself so you can add value. And uh, so, something that like what I will do that's similar is like I don't, I'm, I still work full time as a musician. So I do a lot of the like the bar gigs around town. But what I, but what I don't do is like I don't advertise them at all. And people don't people have no idea that I'm playing at all until it's something that I want them to be aware of. So I will still do ticketed shows around town or guest artist appearances on on jams or something like that, where there's like a, there's an event created around my presence. And only because I don't advertise the bar shows um, does it actually work, because if I sat there and promoted every single bar show that I was doing, people would just not come and see me at all but because it gets to a point where people get frustrated with it me locally. Sense. Yeah, exactly. And it gets to a point where I have people that like what I do, that are, they get frustrated with me because they'll find out that I played somewhere and they would be like, well, why didn't we know? It was like, when I want you to know to come see me, you will know. But until then, I'm not going right. to promote being noisy wallpaper somewhere. I'm, I, that's not how I want to be known, you know.
2: And, and it also depends on where you are, right? I mean, like if you're playing gigs in Nashville, it's a different ballgame. Yeah. I mean, or you're playing, you know, certain spots. Now, I'm at New York. But if you're playing gigs in New York, like, that's the culture. Right. So you'll walk in, you would, you know, I remember walking into Smalls and seeing Roy Hargrove in there, play his gig and leaves. And he's like, where do you go? It's like, man, I'm already, like, where are you at? Man, I'm already home, man. Yeah. He plays one song just just to connect one or two songs, and he just leaves and goes home and goes to sleep. You know, Or, or, and I know giants and legends that I'll go see at certain different venues in those certain spaces. So some of it also just has to be with the area you're in. with the kind of gig you're playing and i think for me at this point there's two things i think number one the overarching thing is go where i'm celebrated and not tolerated yes you know like that yeah so the music is the the thing it's not like no gonna ask me to turn down you know um and from a more logistic standpoint like is there a sound system and a sound guy if there's a sound system and a sound guy then you got a shot if they're like no you got to bring your own speakers and your own mics in them I'm probably not going to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> for me, I mean, guitar players all bring their own amps, but I mean, you know, so so it's a little bit it's a little bit different like that. And, and it's who's playing with me, and it's what's there's so much energy around it. Am I trying to build a relationship? Am I in Atlanta? No one knows me anyway. So right. if someone's like, hey, can you come down? You know, their perception of me is different because of um, they know they don't know. It's not like I grew up there, right? So. You know, Jesus once said, a prophet is not without honor with except for with his, within his own hometown. So he no longer did any more miracles for them. <laughs> and, um, That's wild. You know, I, uh, I noticed that because I'll play in my hometown, man, and people just, oh, Drew, yeah, you're playing, whatever. You know, but you go somewhere else, you sell out two, 250, 250 tickets, 300 tickets to sell out a joint. You go back home and they're like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I remember changing his dirty diaper or whatever. You know, they yeah. didn't want to come bother with me. We were just playing whatever. Um, but, so, I, you know, I... It, 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 uh, there's a lot of factors. It's hard to explain them all um, for the choices, but I think there just has to be an intentionality to it. And if you've planned out what you want and your goals and where you're trying to get to, they can inform your decision, whatever that is. I, I know one cat, a former student of mine, actually he plays like the does a whole looping pedal thing. Oh yeah, just he loves playing all the time, everywhere he can. And he's by himself, so you give him two hundred dollars, and he's you know two hundred dollars a night, two fifty a night. It's a good gig. Teaching by day, you know, he's, he's he's doing, and he loves it. Like he, you know, he just watching him play. I can, the joy radiates in a smoky bar. Right. You know, five, 10 people, it doesn't matter. 200 people. And that's for him. And that's his goal. His goal is to create a nice living around his lo- local area, hang out with his family by day, play music at night. God bless him. You know, totally. that's, 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 um, if that's success. If you're paying your bills, doing your art, and you're not compromising your art, then success.
0: In my book. hundred yeah. percent, man.
2: You know, for me, I got it's it's also just the idea that I want to maximize the time away from my children. If I'm going to be away from my children, it has to be worth it. If I'm not tucking them in at night and kissing them at night or having a heart to heart with my teen or whatever, if I'm missing the opportunity that could open up more connection with my kids, it better be worth it and benefiting in some other way. So that's usually my, you know, And is it worth it always monetarily? No, like. Corey comes to town, I'm not getting paid to go jam with him, you know what I mean? Like I'm. You know, the thing, But it's worth it in other ways that are bigger and grow, you know, like a lot of members of the band, man. God, so funky. Yeah. Such good people, by the way. Shout out to Corey, man. I mean, when I tell you, what a, what a great human being, man. And, and f- a band that reflects that, you know, attitude reflects leadership. And that whole band is just such open human beings. Like, they just made so much space. And they're so fun. And it was so joyous. And it was just such a celebration on that stage, man. Like that that was like it set new goals for me in terms of how i want to feel when i'm on the road
0: that's amazing Um, i love to hear that too he's such a big influence and to me like the the standard of success i mean i I study everything that he does he's so it's cool to hear that he's also a good person and that is the energy of the group because a lot of times you see your idols and you hear like horror stories and um so it's nice to hear that he's not like that you know
2: i don't even know how he works the way he works man he he, i know he does all his like podcast stuff and all his like tv show youtube show stuff like in a day like or two days like he goes and shoots the whole yeah um just the level of output you know um and the level of just quality music he's putting out there the funk and then just to also just be as gracious and as like you know he, you know, he's just he's just you know he's he's that dude man he's that dude and his band is is those people like i remember the when i went out there for sound check and i played it and i played like my first thing and everyone was just like mm, mm. and and i needed that so bad i didn't realize how much i needed like that 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 positive confirmation because i'm again i'm in a space where you wouldn't hear me it's like what's the vibraphone doing in the space and to hear everyone like sort of hyping me up and then he turned to me and i haven't posted this but he turned to me and said, Hey man, why don't you play like a just why don't you do some more of that? Like play a, a long intro before we play uh, this next song with Smooth Move. Play this long, play a long intro. Like, what do you mean? He's like, just play solo. Take your time with it. And I was like, uh, all right. So after the tune that I posted, I play like this, I think, four-minute solo. I think I went into I got five on it because I was running out of ideas. Yeah.
1: But
2: um, <laughs> it became the idea. Um but he like, even then, he was just so gracious, like he was like just he wasn't like trying to change his guitar. He was just like on his knee in front of my vibraphone. Just, you know, just the, the, and then afterward, I, I was just hanging out in the audience, checking it out. And one of the guys came and got me. He's like, Hey, we're doing the uh, press conference. They do a press conference afterward.
0: Really? Like, like, a, re- a, like a real like, one? Like or...
2: a... No, it's on stage. They set up a backdrop and they set up a table and everyone comes and does a press conference like as MB- after an NBA game.
0: That's what I've seen. Yeah. I saw them do that. So, okay. So they got you up on that too?
2: Yeah, and I was just like, "Oh no, I'm not in." He's like, "No, no, you gotta come. Everyone comes." And I was just like, "All right." And they sat me down, and we're just like, "Drew, you know, hey, first time with the band, what do you think?" And I kind of caught the vibe. As I, I didn't know, he didn't prep me for it, but I kind of caught what the vibe was, you know. So I was, um, I was just kind of like, "It's on my, it's on my uh, Instagram." But I was just kind of like, "Yeah, you know, I tried to get all the Malice, you know, really involved early." You know, I really feel like I should have might have should have just stuck with my same two core players, but you know, I felt like we uh, may have started slow, but we kind of pulled it out in the end. You know, so, yeah, that
1: time, <laughs>
2: yeah. You know, it came off really well, but just and then we hung out backstage afterward. He had invited my daughters and my daughter in for dinner before the show, and just was sat with us. Just, just the, uh, I mean, I'm gonna, you know, I start gushing, man. But just, just, I, I realize though at that level, most honestly, most artists at that level that I've maybe just the ones that I've encountered are just not competing with anybody, man. They're just there to share and, you know, and and have fun and, and be be joyful for the most part. It's it's the cats who are. Trying to push to that level that tend to sort of, you know, are are living in scarcity a little bit that kind of do that. But once the, you know, these cats that get on like that, people like to work with them and they like to work with them for a reason.
0: Yeah, Yeah. for sure. For sure, man.
2: Don't be a bad person. That's the number one career advice. Don't be a jerk.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Don't be a jerk. You heard it here first, guys. (laughs) That's that's it. That's the number one career advice, man.
2: Don't be entitled. Treat your sound guy well.
0: Yeah, for that's fucking golden rule right there. It'd be um, as authentic
2: as possible, man. Because everyone always wants to know how I came up with the "is not a xylophone" thing, and everyone—I guess everyone's probably definitely hyperbolic. But yeah. <laughs> um, people, if I do a clinic or something like that, people usually ask, and it's like honestly, I was at a bar gig, um, and these drunk girls kept putting their—they're putting their martini glasses on my instrument. Like, it was really crowded, and they kept putting. Oh, can you just hold this? Oh my god, I love the xylophone! I love Ugh. the xylophone. I got so pissed, that I went home and just changed all my screen names. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And then, you know, had a, had a friend order, you know, make some shirts, and that was that was it. So it was really just another. And I also realized that, like, if my why is, I want to make it easier for people who fall in love with this stupid instrument, than it was for me. Then, how are they going to ever think about the fact that they want to hire a vibraphone player, or they want that in their wedding, or they want it in their band if they don't even know the name of it? If every time they're like, oh, I want a xylophone, and they go look up xylophone, and they get an actual xylophone, which is like, you know made of wood and raised accidentals and no sustain and super articulate and very high pitched in a lot of, in a lot of cases. So they're going to be like, Oh, no, that's not what I want. Forget right. it. <laughs> so it also kind of taps into that sort of deeper, deeper meaning of what I'm trying
0: to do. That's going to be the, uh, the name of the episode for sure, because we name all of our episodes, like just based off of a thing. So for this one, we'll, we'll call it, it's not a xylophone. It'll be right on brand and hopefully nice. it'll, uh, help boost it in the youtube algorithm a little bit oh yeah i mean yeah i'll share it of course you know. <laughs> um drew uh thank you so much for being here with us today man we really appreciate it before we take off we do a segment that i totally forgot to fill you in on but it's it's easy sure. it's I'm called for anything, it's called unpopular opinions and we just each say an unpopular opinion and we discuss it briefly and then we move on uh, it can be about whatever you want uh, we typically try and keep politics and religion out of it. However, if you want to go there, we'll go there. Um, doesn't have to be music related, literally whatever you want. What you got for us, Chris?
1: Um. All right. So I think riding the rail at shows is just way overrated. Yeah. percent. Getting, getting there early and being right up front is, it's not the best spot. You're kind of locked in the front. It's just... And it's, it, I was reminded by this because you brought up Bonnaroo, and I saw a video of the gates open and maybe 200 people just full sprinting across an open field <laughs> to go stand at front at like 10 a.m. And they probably stood there, I mean, 12 hours, 14 hours. It's just not worth it. Just stand in the back near the sound booth. You're going to get a better mix. You're going to have a better time. Like, I just don't get the hype. Everyone's got to be up front. I just, it's not a, It's not real. It's not a thing. What yeah, do you think, Drew? I,
0: I,
2: I'm going to kind of say that I kind of agree with that. I also think you don't get the best sound there.
1: Yeah, like, 100%. I don't know if you it, but
2: I, I don't think you, like, you get a much better sound when you get back a little bit and you, you're able to do it. And I don't think anyone thinks to themselves, like, whoa, they're up front. They must know somebody. They, no, there's no clout that comes with it. It totally. just means you, right. you know. And I remember being at – I was at Sunfest with my daughter, and she was, like, mad short. Like somebody just this big, you know, just got bullied his way in front. And I'm like, well, yeah, okay, you got in front of the small kid. like,
0: Yeah. It,
2: <laughs> What did you? What did you really accomplish? You know, it's that ultimate um,
0: scarcity complex, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like people that just like are yeah. are total FOMO, afraid of missing out on something. I definitely don't see any value in going up to the front of the stage. I would much rather. Now, here's what I'll say: is that we played. Uh, this festival called Orange Blossom Review a couple, uh, back in 2021, I think. And we brought our sound guy with a shout-out to Eric Kaufman, who's a dope sound guy here in Jacksonville. He, uh, We brought him with us, and he kept giving me shit because I was standing closer to the stage than I was to the sound system. But in my defense, after I play, um, I'm not really looking to get the best sound possible. I'm kind of trying to decompress. So I was like kind of off to the side of the stage and not really wanting to experience the full show head on at that moment but for most people i think that are just there to go see shows i think that a lot of it for them is just seeing the artist up close and it's not so much about the sound or or the comfort of the experience like they will sacrifice all of that just to make sure they get you know that 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 shot of of the stage or or the artist or whoever whatever it is you know
1: yeah that's
2: a good point that's a good point
1: which is crazy because they have multi-million dollar cameras and video walls at a lot of these at at what i'm thinking of like where there's a rail and there's like a a place to be right up front now maybe you know like a smaller venue show you know i i could see that you know because it's gonna sound pretty consistent across the whole place but yeah it's it's all clippable i guess nowadays you just want the uh the instagram hit
0: that's what it is yeah really um that's a good unpopular opinion though i I love that one i definitely agree with you um, You're gonna
2: have to go next because I, I got to think.
0: All right, cool. I, I can. I go next. have so
2: many of them. I'm just trying to think of one that's good for you know.
0: Tell me about it. Maybe this will give you some more clarity as well. I hate throw pillows.
1: Mm. <laughs> uh, we're on to something.
0: Here's here's the thing. I'm a I'm I'm all about I think going back to what we kind of touched on earlier. How you do anything is how you do everything. I can understand trying to make a place look presentable, and trying to add like an artistic value to to the, the 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 home space. But there's but at a certain point though, there's also like if something's not functional, why is it? Why does it exist? We can be artistic and functional at the same time. At the point where we're just sacrificing function and in fact making it adding more work to my plate for the sake of making something look nice. Um, when it's supposed to be built around comfort, uh, then I you, you count me out, a hundred percent. Funny.
1: Well, you know what I, I don't.
0: I don't
2: disagree, but um, in order not to make certain people think that uh, in order to get me in trouble, I'm going to say I kind of disagree. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I, I think that there, there comes a point when it's. Yeah, I grew up in a house with like the living room you don't touch. You know, you don't go in there. You have the pillows that are on your couch, but you don't you don't actually sit on them. Right. So I like that. I like I like things that are functional. So I you know I remember being very very intentional about getting a couch that my kids could jump around on and have fun on, and being very intentional about the things that everything is accessible. Right. You still got to treat it right, but just treat them to t- treat everything right. Right. You know, just, just doing that, but. um you know, but to, to to my to my mother's credit, though, you know, I'll say like, oh, we were never allowed to sit on the couch, and she's like, that's why I still have that couch. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's always the thing. So, I mean, you can't argue with that
0: logic, I guess. No, totally, uh, Chris. You don't strike me much as a thro- as a making your bed kind of guy. Uh, I don't well, know about throw pillows.
1: <laughs> well, you know why they're called throw pillows, right?
0: Because you throw them on the ground.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. Get that shit out of here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I uh I don't know, man. I'm not into it. Um, so. If if anyone disagrees, you can leave your comments in the the, uh, comments section below. Uh, Let me know about how passionate you are about throw pillows.
1: Well, we've just got to upgrade. Now, you know, get a nice blanket and put that on the couch that looks good, because then you have a blanket on your couch. You can still just, let's upgrade.
0: Yeah, well, we'll get some throw pillows for the couch while we're at it.
1: Yeah, that's great.
0: Drew, what? uh Anything come to mind for you? I would
2: say, yeah. I mean, it's really narrowing it down. I'm, I'm going to say, I guess, it, I guess it borders on politics, but I'm going to say that Disney ruined Marvel and Lucasfilm. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. it absolutely ruined them, and it's sad, and it makes me sad, and. Um, I loved comics growing up. I have I have boxes of them. Like if you were to just look right over there, there's stacks of graphic novels up there. Oh yes, yeah. I, see them. You know what I mean, like wow. there's Avatar, The Last Airbender. You know, and it's just like Lucasfilm came around and decided that was more important. You know, listen, I'm as as a as a mixed race person myself, who's uh, but from Jamaica, I am all about representation and and seeing, um, you know hopefully that there are women out there that are in media and places that my daughters can look up to. But what they've done is just like, but I've never, never been about just clicking and ticking boxes at the sake of the quality of the product. Right. Like totally if if you're going to write a good story and you're going to make, you know, certain, 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 uh, demographics as a part of a character that, but it's not the only character trait. If you're going to write women in a way that's, relatable because they have a hero's journey and a struggle. And, you know, you take into account the fact that they are very small and that, you know, males are much bigger and you have them use strengths that are inherent to females. Like, but no one can relate to someone who's like, obviously 80 pounds and kicking 250 pound judo wrestlers butts all over the place (laughs) and, and never having the only, the only thing they had to discover was that the power was with them all along and it was everybody else that was holding them back. And I'm like, yeah, well, my daughters have flaws. You know, like they have like just like everybody else. So they want to see somebody who they can see themselves in overcoming a flaw of conceit or the flaw of being too this or being this. So they have to figure it out. I mean, you just look at like the old Mulan with the new Mulan, you know, Um, and the old Mulan, like she wasn't beating everybody up. She was like, all right, well, I'm not going to win this physically, so I'm going to have to use my smarts. I'm going to have to
0: use playing to her strengths. Yeah,
2: right. These strengths that are inherent like other things. And she had to figure it out. But it wasn't. You look at the new one, and she just kicks everybody's butt and can float off a roof from when she's seven years old. So it's like, these aren't relatable characters. They're not likable characters. Um, they're ruining all the legacy characters that we grew up with. They don't like the fans. They don't like, you know, and whatever. And so, like, all, these, all the old men got to go and replace with the young women, which right. there's a character, or if it's earned and there's a point, then fine. You know, but I just watched Terminator 2 the other day. I think it's on Netflix right now, and I was like, dude, Linda Hamilton was a
0: boss. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but she wasn't, like, kicking Arnold's butt all of a sudden because she worked out and she was a lead, you know? Ripley was a boss. You know, like, it was... What else did I just watch? Oh, Extraction 2 just came out. And, like, the female lead in there wasn't there to make fun of the male lead, Like, but also was capable and likable and fierce and smart and and had... and You know what I mean? So it's like... Disney comes along and was like, "Well, we're going to Disneyfy all this stuff." And <laughs> fine, if you there are ways to do all the things that Disney does with these movies, and think about a way to enhance the story, like to create the story, and you can put anything you want. Look at like, uh, look at like, he got me going now. Look <laughs> at like, uh, Lynn Manuel, Mar- what he, what he do? Uh, uh, Hamilton. Hamilton, yeah. Who cares that George Washington is black? Who cares? Because the story is great and the the production is great, and no one's like, "Well, wow, they race swap George George Washington." Oh you'd
0: be surprised there's I've heard some arguments and and also I think that there's that there's uh with, with the Hamilton thing that I that I that's easy for me to, to suspend belief is that it's not really like a totally accurate depiction of what happened outside of the fact that it's you know the, the like they're all black and not representative of who they actually were but so it's like just starting from that right there we know that this isn't going to be an accurate representation of history and then we also know it's a production so there's going to be things that are tweaked the st- along for the story's sake you know for the for the purpose of performance right. and and to fit into all this stuff so it's like i think that you know when people watch things like that there has to be uh some of the responsibility is on the audience to, to suspend belief a little bit you know
2: well, sure, and, and it's a fact that they did it with everybody, yeah, too. exactly. So it's like it's, it doesn't make a difference, but it's not even that. But you look at like yeah, the true. new Little Mermaid, don't use this as a soundbite now. No, you, you, take, you but they can listen to it if they listen to the rest of the podcast, yeah. You take a little mermaid, like <laughs> it's like they put these characters <laughs> first of all. I think, as we deserve, there's lots of great black characters out there, and I think that we should inherently like we don't need to make Superman black, there's icon, like let's examine him, like there's all sorts of great black characters they don't need to just be like well we don't we're lazy creatively so let's just take this one and make him thank black. Like, that's, you that's doesn't that... make me feel good right you know? like, it just i like superman white like that's the so let's create new ones for the kids today and let's create great let's be creative and that's let's, it right you know? like there's great black characters but also it's the fact that like the rest of the movie's terrible and when no, everyone <laughs> comes out and says like the movie was bad everyone's like oh look you just don't i've I see, I've seen people, I've seen threads where somebody will be like, the movie's terrible, and they'll be like, you're racist, you're racist. And I'll be like, well, the movie was terrible, and then crickets. Yeah. Because what do you get? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, because, and then they, they learn the wrong lessons. Yeah. So you take like a Little Mermaid, which is one of my favorite movies. I never, first of all, I'm not a mermaid. I don't need to see representation of a mermaid. Um, I would love to see real people like, like, in as doctors and real people as lawyers and real spaces where I can look up to, like Carter Buford, who, um, drummer
0: for dave matthews one of the greatest
2: yeah he's a friend of mine actually oh really yeah it's really pretty cool but like i he was the first living drummer the first black drummer that was alive that i saw on modern drummer where i was like oh okay i could okay cool i can do but that's a real person like that's important that he's on a character like on a cover rather so when it comes to like um when it comes to this like you have like this whole idea of for example, and this this one actually did get me a little bit. It was when um, are you familiar with Little Mermaid? Like,
0: yeah, General, yeah, yeah. General, first, yeah.
2: There's this part where she has all her stuff in there, and her father comes and finds it, and she's like talking to the Prince Eric. She's like, "Oh, really? Sure, I'll marry you." Yeah, and he comes and finds it. The father and he's just like, "This is not, this is not good." And in the original movie, his whole motive is like protecting his daughter, and he's like, "Nothing's getting through to you." And if this is the only way that I have to get through to you is to destroy all this stuff, so you see how serious I am, then so be it. And destroys all this stuff, and she's freaking out. And as he leaves, this little moment he looks back, and she's crying, and he's just like...
0: Yes, I remember that, yeah. Miserable, and walks out. Because
2: you realize he didn't want to do any of that. He, he just felt he needed to protect his daughter, and if he, he'd rather have his daughter hate him and her be safe and alive, which I can very, very much relate to as a father of a teenage daughter. However, in the new one, he just loses it, loses it, and the only and she's not she has and he's just like you know what you're not going to listen because the rest of the movie is set up where the daughters are allowed to go to the surface so it's not as much of a safety thing people know about them whatever the case may be he just loses it because he's pissed off she's not listening and he's now just a narcissistic jerk who's just abusive and just decided to do that and then storms off like a jerk right so there's no like, nuance oh, but the focus was not making her be all and when she doesn't want him to destroy the statue of Prince Eric is because she thinks he was about to destroy. The crab guy, Sebastian, who was sitting on it. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So it's like now you just made a fa- father look like an idiot, right. like he's a abusive a-hole. And as opposed to this whole moment where you had this like family dynamic, and it's these little things that they just they learn the lo- wrong lessons, they take the wrong things. Well, we can't have her going up there for no boy. But first of all, what's wrong with a love story and you know procreating and keeping the human race going? Nothing's wrong with that. Um, but also, it diminishes the whole reason. For everything, and it makes him look like, anyway, whatever. I can go on with this stuff forever, man. Ray, well, Skywalker. I, I think
0: it's 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 interesting. Uh, the the is I I was thinking about the the Little Mermaid while you were talking while you were bringing this up, and it's not something that I've thought too much about. I don't have children, so um, I, I'm not going to really see the movie because I don't really. I mean, I don't really care to see the movie, the reason, and right. and also like. But people made a big stink about it, and I didn't really think one way or about it, one way or another about it. I was okay. Well, that's how you feel, whatever. And then I had somebody recently say, "Oh, well, the new Little Mermaid came out." They were like my age, you know, and they were like, "The new Little Mermaid came out, and it's really a great watch. Everyone should go see it." She's black now, so you know, that's very, very important to go support stuff like that. And I started thinking about. It. I didn't get into it with her because I didn't want to, like, you know, it was like a family dinner thing. I didn't want to get into all that. But I, but I just kind of sat there, and I was thinking, I was like, well, you know, and then somebody else was like, yeah, all this uproar about it, like, just how how more blatantly racist could you be? And then I started thinking more about it, and I was like, hmm, let me think about this because it can't just be as simple as being racist, right? There's gotta be something else to it. And I was like, maybe if they just would have taken the same concept and made a different character rather than taking the existing character and making her a different race. Because at at some point it just seems lazy, like you were saying, it's not creative, it's lazy. And it's just like, you could have created a new storyline with the same kind of premise, but a different character and avoided all this controversy. But the purpose wasn't really to create, to, to create something artistic uh, and, and to represent anybody. The purpose was to create controversy. And that's what they ended up doing. And it's so and helped sell the tickets.
2: They spent, they, they, they spend no money on CGI anymore. Right. Right. So if anything's dark and gloomy, you can't tell the CGI is trash. Right. You know I mean? <laughs> so, so any insult can be deflected by saying this is toxic or this is whatever. This is the thing. And it's like, I think Haley Bailey did a fine job. You, you know, the other thing is, too, but she's a kid, so she didn't really act very well. Whereas if you have voiceovers and animation, they could be 29 years old, 30 years old, have all this experience with voice acting, and you have this these better interactions, you know, and you these better, but you obviously have to use a kid if you're going to be doing this and how good her child actor is, really. But, um, but it's really, none of the criticism is usually levied at her. It's just like, this story was terrible. These live action animals are, look scary, like. They have no emotion, and they just—it's just—it's the stuff of nightmares. So it's, it's really weird. And honestly, I think we're swinging back the other way. I think when you see movies like that are just simple, like the Top Gun movie that came out, and you know th- that was just good—a good movie where you weren't making fun of the aged guy to try to replace him with the new hip one. He was still the guy. Um, there's also that trend of like mentors have to be like shown. Like, there's no mentors. Like the young people know better now. Right. So you have these self inserts who are sort of like these actors have grown up and now they're they're putting themselves sort of in these roles this is what they'd like to do or they'd like to see um and so i think it's i think it's kind of sad i I love good stories i couldn't care less about and also interesting fun fact a lot of these race swap characters used to be redheads
0: yeah (laughs) almost
2: almost 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 exclusively like look at all the redheads that have been race swapped in superhero movies it's kind of funny yeah
0: Um, it's interesting distinction i didn't know that
2: I would love to see more black stories being told, more Asian stories being told. I think Crazy Rich Asians was a good example. You know, they didn't just take Best Friend's Wedding and make them all Asian. Right. Like, like create a new scene, Like, be creative. That's exactly. But it's more important to me to see, to see real people showing people what's possible. I I think the uproar over all of it is kind of silly, but um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, more good movies, um, I will say though, if you if you haven't seen Across the Spider Verse and Into the Spider Verse, is amazing.
0: I've been uh, I, I started watching it, and I think I got distracted with something, but I really loved the premise of it. So I think I'm gonna go back and try to watch it.
2: And Arcane on Netflix is also beautiful. You know, Arcane, where, where people have all sorts of demographics, but it's not their defining character trait. Like you know, you get hit over the head with it. It's just part of who they are. Where everything feels earned, and you know, you just. Celebrate the diversity of people in a real with real problems and real issues as opposed to being the problems are brought on by the diversity,
0: <laughs> right? Right, yeah, I love that. Anyway, man. sorry, I got on a soapbox on that one. I apologize, it's all good, man. Uh, no, I, we love it, it helps, it makes the conversation interesting and it keeps us going over here. So, we appreciate it, and thank you again for your time, man. This has been awesome getting to talk to you. For me, I always love doing this stuff and talking to guys like you because it's inspiring and uh reaffirming and a lot of just so many things so thank you for being here today really appreciate it
2: yeah man if you're in atlanta look me up I'll jam
0: absolutely man yeah, i got
2: a you got speakers and stuff you don't have to bring anything i
0: have a guitar too hell yeah I'll, i'm fucking there bro we'll make it happen i love it cheers man be in touch all right man definitely have a good one see you peace